Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And today we are here in the parking lot of Cadillac Barbecue in Farmer's Branch, Texas. And we are with Andrew Castellan. Andrew Castellan, also known as at Good Things BBQ on Instagram. Uh, most of you probably follow him because I think everyone in barbecue follows him because his Instagram feed is pretty awesome, uh, posting lots of really great barbecue pictures. And Andrew is one of the cooks, pit hands, call whatever title you want. He is one of the people that helps produce the phenomenal barbecue that Cadillac Barbecue has producing for many years here in the Dallas area. And we're going to get into a little bit of your story from, from the early days and then work our way up to where we are right now. Uh, let's start towards the beginning. You are a native Texan growing up in the Dallas, East Texas area. Yeah, I am. Um, I just want to start by thanking you guys. Uh, I'm honored and humbled that you guys would want to talk to me. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys taking the time to come talk to me. Well, we really yeah. enjoy it. The food food and everything that, uh, that that you're putting out and the team's putting out here. Um, Todd and Misty and you and, and are there others involved here? Yeah, Jacob, who you probably met um, on the block, he's definitely you know one of the main guys. He's kind of our sausage guru. Um, but yeah, between uh, Jacob, uh, Todd, and I, and Eric is one of the other guys who also just kind of helps out with the, uh, the pig and some other things. Um, we kind of make the magic happen. But it's definitely it's definitely all of us. It's not it's not any one of us. We all put our heart and soul into everything we do every day. Um, and it's it's a team effort for sure it's a it's a really unique experience here even though we're in a uh, kind of a warehouse district a business park district but um, always impressed but let's let's talk about you and your background you know growing up here um, especially dallas in the early days there there wasn't a lot of, of barbecue what was your early experiences with barbecue yeah um my early experience with barbecue is probably dickies uh, <laughs> we'd we'd get it at, you know the family pack probably uh, once a month or so it wasn't anything spectacular but it's just kind of what I grew up with like which a lot of people from the Dallas area grew up with uh, I also kind of grew up around with my dad he had a, a Weber kettle and I think once a week at least he'd be cooking sausage or, you know not making it but co- heating up some sausage or some burgers or some chicken or some ribs my mom absolutely loved ribs, so I mean, at least once a week we were cooking something. Um, and, and Weber's are great vessels for ribs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. I mean, they, they win many competitions. Yeah. yeah, it's a great steak cooker, great rib cooker, chicken as well. I think every city, at least the major cities in Texas, kind of have their own version of what you grew up with, whether it's Dickies in the Dallas area. San Antonio had a lot of Bill Miller barbecue for a lot of people that grew up, but, you know, circa 80s, 90s. Um, Houston had Luther's. Luther's was kind of the big all-you-can-eat barbecue buffet that you know that a lot of people would go to. But as far as independent chain, or independent chain, independent barbecue didn't didn't have a strong foothold in that era of Texas barbecue history. A lot of automation had come to barbecue, a lot of set it and forget it type stuff, which can it'll cook your meat, but it's it's not going to give you the flavor that you get in the barbecue that we're eating around these days. As you grew up, what was kind of your your first experiences as you got older with barbecue? I understand you went to you went to school a couple of different places. Yeah, um, I went to school at Texas Tech for a couple of years, and then I transferred over to UT. Uh, this was pre Evie Mays and pre 
just about anything at Texas Tech. So in Lubbock, there really wasn't much from a barbecue scene. I don't even think I can think of one barbecue joint I ever ate at while I was in Lubbock. Um, once I got to UT, though, it, it was barbecue everywhere. Uh, Ironworks was probably one of the first ones I remember going to. It was the first time I ever had a beefer was at Ironworks. Um, and man, I absolutely loved it. And also kind of stepping back a little bit, my brother went to UT before I did, and that's kind of when we went to Salt Lake for the first time. And that was kind of my first uh, introduction to, I, I guess, good barbecue um, outside of you know Dickies. And we'd go there, and you know we were broke and get the all-you-can-eat thing, or you know family we, we, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't eat all day and just devour it. And and that was a big ex- experience too. I mean, going going there, right? I mean, the the indoor pits where they finished the meats. I mean, that was that was one of the things that made the, the barbecue experience special and really kind of cements that memory. Oh yeah, I, I still remember the first time walking in. You see those that that the big round open fire pit. It's just, it's iconic. And when you grow up eating stuff like Dickies. Yeah, I would say, I mean, Lockhart aside, you know, everyone thinks of Franklin as the first big destination barbecue place for a lot of people. And in the modern movement, it absolutely is. But but I think Salt Lake for a good number of decades prior to prior to the Franklin explosion, mm-hmm. Salt Lake was one of those places, you know, the family gathering place, the special occasion barbecue place where it's like, oh, the whole family's gonna meet here and we're gonna have the all you can eat feast. And I, there's so many stories of people that ate barbecue pre-2009 that yeah i hear brian tell it on about 87 episodes <laughs> of you know of salt lake being that first that first big experience or that first memorable experience and i know salt lake doesn't necessarily get the the love these days as you know there's so many places open now but salt lake still has that really great and special place in texas barbecue history um and it's a it's a place that we have a lot of reverence for e- even if it's not you know on every list in this snap but i think it's got a very very important place in, in what barbecue is today and it was the first place I ever remember, like getting in a car and driving a decent amount of distance to. You know, that's part of that yeah. whole that whole experience, yeah. right? Which which gives that love of road trips and and exploration and Absolutely. all of that, right? There's there's this whole kind of uh, uh, Neanderthal type mentality with it, um, and then the reward at the end. Uh, around that time, also, you know, there was a, a lot. The, the beginnings of really the barbecue explosion of quality barbecue was just starting to happen. Um, and, and you went and experienced one of the other places around. Um, in Franklin? Yeah, Franklin was a visit, I think the first time was in around 2011. And I remember I was standing in line and they gave a sample. And it, it absolutely blew my mind. It was that sugar cookie that Daniel Vaughn talks about. I remember I got up to the counter and I just told the, the cutter, I just I just want to two pounds of whatever that was um oh you were that customer yeah Yeah. hi leonard i want two pounds of the burn ends yes yeah and i i it just blew my mind it kind of like you know a lot of people have those moments in barbecue for the first time where they just i call that the magic tingle or that you know the 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 skies part the rainbow comes down and and it's just it's truly revelatory yeah, no, it absolutely is. Do you remember the date? I remember my first Franklin date. <laughs> I don't remember the date. <laughs> July 2nd, yeah. 2011 for me. It could have been the same day. We could have been there at the well, same time. Well, and but. see, I was at, I started UT in 2009, and I heard all these you know rumblings and rumors about this guy uh, who cooks phenomenal barbecue. And I was kind of skeptical at the time, thinking, I mean, how much better could it really be than what I had already eaten? And I, when I went there, I was so disappointed that I hadn't gone earlier. I was like, this is this is just a different level and completely 
what I, I couldn't even believe that it was possible. I, I so. remember somebody was telling me about Snows, one of my good friends, Derek Heaton, and and he's like, oh, it's this place, and they're only open on Saturdays, and there's this this little old lady that cooks, and I was like, I was like, only Saturdays? Well, that's dumb, <laughs> you know. And I, like, and and I, 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 just listening to it, I was like, whatever. <laughs> And then, you know, sure enough, like, it was, it was like three years later before I actually went. And I was like, I should have listened to my friend. But. Yeah, and I did it the reverse way. Like, I didn't, like, I'm from a northern family, as Brian likes to point out. And barbecue for me wasn't a special occasion growing up. It was usually some pretty dry steam table stuff that I ate. So my first big experience was Franklin. And then I went reverse. I went from once I dove into the Franklin pit and I'm like, okay, this is amazing. What else is out there? Then I started going to the Lockhart's and everything else. And, and I had that same kind of opposite experience that you do where I'm like, wait, this doesn't taste like that. Why, why did what I eat at Franklin taste so much <laughs> different than what I ate at Lockhart? And, and it just, it was a very different product. And, and a lot of it goes into, you know, everything that we talk about a billion times about quality of meat, the trim, the season, the wood you use, all of that fun stuff. So when you had that, that first big eye-opening experience at Franklin, what kind of path did that lead you down how did that start your curiosity in barbecue yeah it 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 took a while I think before it really made a big impact in my life because I was still um, in the middle of getting my uh, accounting degree at UT and so I was still really focused on school at that point Um, the thought of cooking live fire and all that never even crossed my mind just because I mean I was in a little uh, apartment with that you know you couldn't cook anything on or anything like that so I mean I would go home and cook on my dad's Weber kettle, or I think at this point in time he had a Klaus uh, pit. Um, so it really wasn't probably till uh, I graduated and left UT that, and I finally started getting more into cooking meats um, on a on a slow cooking meats. Um, you know, messing around with pork shoulders, uh, ribs, stuff like that. And actually, what I would do is because when we first uh, when I first left UT and came to Dallas, uh, I would cook in an oven, like a, a pork shoulder or some ribs, and then I'd go home to my parents' house. Uh, and I'd usually, sp- every week, I'd go there and go visit them for dinner or something. And so I'd start it in the oven, and then I'd go to my parents' house, and I'd finish it off on uh, the uh, on the Klaus pit. That's kind and, of backwards. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it was—I didn't have any other options right, really yeah. at the time. And but I was interested in slow, slow cooking meats. One of the turning points was uh, my mom passed away in 2014, and the same week that my mom passed away, uh, my my wife's family has a lake house out in East Texas, and we decided to go out there to go just you know spend a week just to kind of you know mourn, if you will. And we pull up, and the neighbor has this pit completely refurbished and ready for me to go. Uh, two weeks prior to that, um, I went up with him to his lake ha- or to a, a property he has near that lake house, and he was showing me this pit. And at the time, it was run down, uh, rusted out, and it was an old uh, Oklahoma Joe. And I didn't even think much of it at the time because I had no idea about how to refurbish a pit or I didn't have the money either. And like I said, he, I, we pull up and he's went ahead and did it for me. And that was kind of one of the main turning points because then I, I finally had a pit that I could cook with wood on. And this was around 2014, which was the same year that Aaron Franklin's book came out. And having that book and that pit together is really what kind of changed everything for me because... 
uh, I really didn't even at the time know or understand the concept of cooking with just wood. I think when I first got the pit, I was still uh, cooking with charcoal and adding some wood chunks or something like that, but which was really inefficient. And uh, once I got that uh, that book, it was like, holy cow, like, but you, this what is was completely good was different. You were, you were learning the cooking process and the transformation that happens, um, which, because fire management is a whole separate skill that you have to learn on top of that. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I learned a lot uh, cooking on that little pit from like a fire management standpoint, because uh, I mean it, they're really finicky to try to, to to try to manage your heat when you're when you're cooking on that. Um, well, what we've noticed, especially even with our, our favorite the, the old country Pecos for a starter pit, they're so small that you really have to use small pieces of wood. Yeah. But then then you've really got to focus on how to feed it because you can't just throw a big a big split in there because it's going to change the, the dynamics of that cook completely. Absolutely. Um, and then I guess around 2015, so the following year, I, I, I bought, we ended up now moving into a house back in Plano. I bought uh, a Horizon pit, which is what Oklahoma Joe's kind of spun off to become. And so I finally got to start cooking at home. The one that has it kind of like the vertical. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then in 2016 was when I finally went back to Franklin's and we ended up eating a, a, an incredible meal and I, was, I remember going there and I was a little bit nervous because I couldn't understand I was worried it might not be as good as I remembered it's it's the biggest problem that we, we've <laughs> yeah. and again we, we're not allowed to say we talk about this all the time but the, the the biggest problem with Franklin is that people have these expectations and if it's not absolutely perfect then they're disappointed and that's not fair right because it can be a 99 out of a hundred and some people are going to be disappointed but um, but as you mentioned, you came in with those super high expectations and they, they were met again. Yeah, it, it, it blew my mind yet again. And I was fortunate enough to do a pit tour this time. And I was standing back there, I was talking to one of the pit hands. Um, I, I can't remember who it was. And out around the corner comes out Aaron Franklin. And he was nice enough to spend like 15 minutes talking with me because I was talking about how my airflow issues on my my small horizon back home and how I was getting really hot on one end and then really cold on the other and it just wasn't consistent and he was talking about how I needed a bigger stack a wider stack to get that airflow coming around we were talking about sausage because I I always was I was buying fresh sausage and then cooking it and I was always telling me you know I can't get that snap and so we were talking about slow cooking it the first time and then ice bathing it and then with a high heat the second time he was just incredibly gracious um and then we also talked about the pits and at the i asked him i was like where can i buy something like this or where can because at the time they're even i think moberg really wasn't on a, on a, on a big scale i don't yeah. think so yeah no. or just starting out if it was yeah. yeah i mean austin smokeworks but they were hard to get a hold of back then yeah, yeah. they were yeah they were they were very selective over which who and, and who would build they them. would build for so yeah, it was there wasn't a huge market as there is today for with so many different talented pit builders out there. So yeah. you really did have to kind of forge your own path, which yeah. is exactly what you did. And so the way he talked about it, and I can't believe how nice he was because I was like about 15 minutes into the conversation with him, I was I told him I was like, I'm sorry to take your time. I'm sure you got to go. And his response was, I I got nothing else to do. I'm just messing with some sausage. And I took that as, oh great, I can talk to you for another 15 or 20 minutes. And he, the way he talked about the pits, he made it sound so simple as far as how, how they were built and from a cost standpoint. 
when you build them yourself, they're not terribly expensive, and how they're just old, you know. Well, especially back tanks. then, where I mean, propane tanks were free if yeah. you picked them up. It's not like that anymore. They become like bourbon, where people <laughs> are out chasing them in the fields. But, but yeah, there there was especially that time. I mean, they're still not crazy expensive, but there was a time when you could go with a if you had a way to get it in the back of a, a trailer, you could pick them up at no charge. Oh yeah, it was. And I, on the way home, my wife and I we couldn't. We couldn't comprehend what had just happened. It was it was another one of these just turning points that uh, I had learned so much. And uh, the way he talked about pit building, he made me believe I could do it. And I think the next day, that evening when I went home, I was looking up on Craigslist uh, propane tanks, and I found one out in Sherman, which is just north of here, for uh, I think like $200 for a 500-gallon propane tank. And the next day, I was went up to Sherman and brought it back without any concept of what I was about to do or how to do it or anything like that. Did, did you have any welding or no? I didn't have all? any welding. I had no welding, no cutting, no nothing. Um, all I had was Franklin's. Hey, book. look, he just started a new hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> did your wife know you were going to buy it? Because um, this is a very Arnest Robbins story, I, right? Yeah, now. <laughs> I, I think she knew because she knows when I'm when I got my heart set on something, I'm going to go do it. I'm just going to do it. She was super nice about it uh the homeowners association at the time wasn't too happy about it um but i don't live there anymore so it's not a big deal (laughs) for obvious reasons um but yeah i just and i think over the next six weeks i built the pit from i mean just every single weekend i would come come home from work so so without any welding experience i mean what did you so so from the welding so i i did all the cutting all the design work all that myself and then i actually uh Craigslist again found a mobile welder, um, and I, you know, I sourced all the materials, everything off of Craigslist. It's the most powerful tool in the world, <laughs> and I found this guy who's funny enough. His name was Angel, <laughs> which to me was another just one of these like signs. Like it was like, wait, your name is Angel, and uh, I remember asking him and telling him my, the the plan. Once he showed up, he was like, Oh, uh, we've got you. I, I specialize in badass. And he actually, when he pulled up, it was funny. He had these two kids with him, and he had this little miniature grill that he made himself. Mm-hmm. And he pulled it off the side of his welding truck and started cooking up some chicken. That's, I was yeah. like, I, I have found the right guy. Yeah. A lot of welders do that. My brother has that on the back of his truck, and and that's that's what they do. They build these, and they're really nice, tricked out little bitty pits. They yeah. work really well. Yeah, but yeah. Um, and so so he did he did your welding, um, and it worked perfectly right off the bat, right? Uh, not exactly. <laughs> I, I made so many modifications to it as as time went on. But, but that's a great learning experience, oh, yeah. right? Absolutely. You can, as, as you, you know, when you change a single dynamic and then you can see that impact, and then you go back and change another dynamic, that's a huge learning experience. Oh, absolutely. And it really teaches you just about pits, airflow, fire management, how all that you know works together. And I kind of cited on being conservative on everything I did. Like for example, the, the the exchange between the firebox and the uh, cooking chamber, I started off with a really small, and this is like I said, this is before I had ever seen, like Moberg's didn't exist. I'd never really seen the inside of an Austin Smokeworks. I'd never seen the inside of Aaron. No Frank's. one had. No one was right. allowed to I, see so the inside. So I, I had no I, I had no idea what I was supposed to be looking for and how big it was and so it just was one yeah, of these I mean, Franklin's things. book wasn't was, was well Franklin's book had some information on pit building yeah, but, yeah he didn't go into too much specific so on that one of the, that, like, that on was that kind of, of like the, yeah that was kind of like the secret sauce yeah, for yeah, a lot of people for sure yeah. and so I just kind of 
kept manipulating and grinding out and cutting out that hole bigger and bigger until I finally got a, a an airflow. Were you that using I was happy a, a shelf or a water pan at that time, or was it just open no, into the pit? Um, so the grates that I built on the inside literally bumped up right to where that hole came up, and so I actually just put the water pan right on top of the grate. And so it was essentially a shelf, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I didn't actually go through the process of building a shelf into into it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's I love that pit. It's I'll take it to my grave. It's, well, with the right smokestack, that design will will draw like a sucker. I mean, oh, it'll yeah. it'll it'll and it consumes wood too yeah. a lot. But that was a whole big shift in in barbecues. I mean, if you go back to the old brick pits and the chimney with the with the tapered flues. They, they had draw built into them as well, but then there was that period, as, as Andrew mentioned too, of kind of the automation where smoke was just introduced into the pit. It mm -hmm. wasn't actually driven through the pit. Right. And so as that, that rediscovery of how to move smoke and how to move that draw, that, that really does make great barbecue. Oh yeah. And I actually probably overbuilt the heck out of it in hindsight, because I, I, like I said, I had nothing to really compare it to. And so I did, I did so much just probably that I didn't need to do um, but it was like I said it was just such a great experience getting to do all of it and it, it, it cooks like a dream now it's just a shame I don't really ever get to use it very often and now the second half of our episode where there's much less outside noise because they decided to mow the lawn outside at Cadillac as we were recording so we moved inside with much clearer audio so please enjoy the second half so so you started building your own pit you you went through that process for the for the most part and then what kind of change i know there's an there was another pit that kind of came on your radar or a pit builder yeah uh, enter mill scale um yeah <laughs> i'm matt and caleb <laughs> yeah i had a, a thousand gallon tank that i was getting ready to work on which is actually i bought the tank from what is now bison smokers i had every plan and every intention of building one and then I heard about mill scale and their connection with Franklin. And to me, it was just one of these incredible moments. I was like, I have to have one of those after, you know, that time getting to spend, getting to spend that time with Franklin in his pit room. I just, I had to have that kind of connection. Um, and so I reached out to Matt and Caleb right around the time when they kind of first entered the market and decided to go ahead and get one of those um, without, having any idea what I was going to do with it, but it's just... Say, these are some pretty serious commitments in terms of size of pits and yeah. money on pits for not knowing exactly where you're going. Yeah, God bless my wife. <laughs> I was going to say, what did she say at that point? Yeah. Like, now you're on your second pit. She's, yeah. uh, she's been so supportive. I mean, you know, if she's just never questioned anything, which is, I guess, good and bad, but she's just been so supportive of everything I've done. She, she knows that I, I really do love this. Um, I've, I've made a lot of sacrifices. She's made a lot of sacrifices. And she just, she wants, you know, me to be happy. She wants me to chase my dream. Um, and she just really just wants me to succeed in whatever way, you know, I, I can. And just to, to wants me to be happy. So she's, she's just been great the whole time. But yeah, the mill, mill scale, they, they made an incredible pit. And I've gotten to cook on that a few times. Um, not as much as I'd like to, but it, it's just kind of, I look at it as my backyard is kind of like a training grounds or like a practice grounds. I just get to, whenever I want on weekends or anything, I can go, go back there and play around. 
That's, that's a nice training ground to have. <laughs> say, you've got a pretty good arsenal already. Yeah. So as, as you go further and further down this rabbit hole chasing this dream, I you know, guess the next logical step would be, well, if I'm ever going to learn how to cook barbecue, I need to work in the barbecue world. So, but you had a, you had a career and a, you know, and a normal desk job and all of those fun things that, that go along with it. So what kind of led you down a path of, okay, I'm really going to start going full bore? Yeah, um, I think it really kind of comes back to that meeting with Aaron Franklin and him just giving me the confidence to to do this. Um, I I had a job that was a really great job, a great career path, but I was just miserable in what I was doing. I was sitting in windowless rooms and working crazy hours, and I just I didn't feel like I was really creating anything. I had really nothing to show for what I was doing. And so I decided that uh, I think after five years of working in the accounting world that I just had enough. And the original intention was to kind of go and work for a barbecue joint to learn commercial barbecue. So that way I wasn't just jumping into this completely blind because I really didn't understand what it took to produce commercial barbecue. You, You know, you can cook in your backyard all you want but cooking 40, 50 briskets and everything else for the day is a completely different world, a completely different animal. And so I decided to go uh, this place off 75, which was on the way home from where I used to work, had a big hiring sign, now hiring sign. And so uh, I had a vacation right after uh, busy season uh, and I decided to go ahead and apply there. And they thought I was out of my mind, <laughs> but they were nice enough to, to, to pull me on. And when I came back from vacation, I put in my two weeks at the accounting firm. And like I said, we had just completed busy season. And uh, it, was, it was a really hard conversation. It was, it was I had to, you know, we were sitting there with my wife and I trying to decide, you know, are, are we sure about this? Um, and it, it was a huge leap of faith because uh, I think most people and a lot of people in my family outside of my wife think I'm crazy (laughs) but it it was something that I really believed in and really wanted to pursue Um, and so I decided to end up working there and I worked there for about nine months and around that time period at the end of the nine months I, I noticed on like one of these Indeed websites or something like that that Cadillac was hiring what was what was it like as you, as you left the office job yeah. into you know a, a food service job? I mean, it's a huge change of of style and work. I mean, what was how was it adapting to that from from sitting in the office, probably wearing a button down shirt, to to a much more physical labor? Yeah, I was. I, I lost a lot of weight the first month or two. Um, I was sweating a lot more. But yeah, it was it was a lot more work because, like you say, I was just sitting down. The one thing though that really translated well is, I was used to working crazy hours. Um, I had no problem working an insane amount of hours or doing whatever the work that entailed. So, working to exhaustion, I I, I had no problem with. And so, moving over to such a physical job, I mean, it was definitely exhausting and completely different hours. Waking up early all that sort of thing, but it, it, I loved it. I think that's really what it came down to. It, it wasn't a big deal for me because I absolutely loved every second of it. 
Um, I, 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 was pin, I was almost pinching myself. Like, I remember the first day on the job, I walked in at 5 a.m., and the very first thing they asked me to do is start trimming some briskets. And I already kind of fell in love with trimming briskets a little while back. And That's I was a like, weird love. yeah. Right. <laughs> and anyway, so I was, I was sitting there hour one, day one, trimming briskets. And it was almost like that, that second, I was like, I made the right choice. I was, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I love to do. And I'm getting to practice and get better at it on a much larger scale. It, 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 was, it was definitely a completely different skill set. Uh, but it was definitely more of, it fit my personality a lot better. You felt the calling. Yeah, yeah for sure. And so, as you said, you know, you, you saw Cadillac was hiring, not the reputation of Cadillac at that time, you know, had, had grown and the exposure uh, of Cadillac to the market had grown and you know, they, they received more and more accolades for the amazing barbecue they were producing. So what were, you know, what were your first inclinations in terms of Cadillac is hiring. Am I ready for this? Should I go for it? Did you have any reservations? Or uh, I, I mean, I was definitely nervous. Uh, I it was one of these things that when I found out they were hiring, I wanted it so bad. Um, I remember trimming briskets. You know, the week before or so, when I finally got a call from Misty, who kind of does the first like pre-interviews, that. Uh, I remember sitting there trimming briskets thinking, how cool would that be to be able to trim briskets for Cadillac one day? Like, I'd always, at the end of the day, I always wanted to cook at the highest level possible. And at the end of the day, what I love to do is cook. And uh, I I saw Cadillac as being the highest level, at least anywhere around this area, that's for sure. They're at the highest level (laughs) anywhere. For sure. And so uh, I I was definitely nervous, but I, 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 I knew kind of, you know, when I made this leap of faith going into this, uh, going down this rabbit hole that I, I wanted to cook at the highest level possible, and they were the highest level. And they were nice enough to kind of give me that shot. And it was definitely nerve-wracking. But I remember the first couple of days and the first week of being here, it was kind of like, I, I can't believe this is real. Like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I get to learn from Todd. It was, it was, it was surreal. And as as you learn from Todd, without giving away any any particular business secrets, I mean, how was that different than working from from your previous job? A, a night and day. Um, Todd loves what he does. He demands perfection. He always wants to improve things, innovate. He's here day in and day out. He's the hardest worker in this restaurant. And at the place I used to work for, there was an owner, ownership group, but the ownership group didn't actually ever come to the restaurant. The managers were kind of a, not really that invested in what was going on. And so one of the things that frustrated me so much about being at the previous place was I felt I was one of the few people who cared. There were, there were a couple other cooks who cared and wanted to make sure we were putting out good food. But as a whole, the team didn't really feel like they they really cared that much it's hard to feel connected to a process when the the very top of that process is either absent or doesn't care or isn't as involved you know and that's that's one of the things that when when we got to sit down with todd and 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 have him on the show uh, a couple years back is one of the things we came away so just amazingly impressed with is 
like you said, he loves it. He loves it as much as anyone that we've talked to in barbecue. And he, he does, he puts everything into it. And so I think that is infectious to everyone around him. I can only imagine as far as, I mean, you can speak to that better than we can. And like like you said earlier, I mean, he's always tweaking and he's always trying to improve and mm-hmm. change and innovate. And that's that's what's also very, very impressive is that it's not just that he's nailed down a particular menu or a particular recipe. Um, even today on our visit, there's new sausages. I mean, he's, he's always working to... Um, tweak and the, and the pastrami. Oh my God, it was so good. Um, but but that that also has to at least at least provide some sort of interest in the job as well for you. Is that there's there's still always learning to go on. Oh yeah, it, it it's it's nonstop here. Uh, week in and week out, we're tweaking things. We're always trying to make things better. We're always playing around with things. Um, it, it doesn't ever end and just and largely that's driven by by Todd and he he doesn't like just sitting still and being stagnant and he, he, he he's not happy with just the status quo and going along with the way things have always been he's very much how do we make things better and so working for him has just been it's taken me to a level I could never even comprehend before that and so that's kind of how it transitioned from, oh, let me go do my own barbecue joint to why would I want to at this point? Like, I, I get to do what I love every day, learning from someone, one of the greats in, in my eyes. Um, it, it, to me, it's, it's as good as it can get. So I, I think, and that's not to say I don't have any drive or determination to potentially do that one of these days, who knows, but that's not at all in my mind, at least not right now, especially now that I've got a kid and you know, plan on growing a family and that sort of thing. It's, it's just a really nice life balance at the end of the day. So, well, And I think that that really does, and it even trickles down to the customer, not, not necessarily every customer, but I think there's a large faction of customers that probably do see that change and how it's always evolving. You know, If they make regular trips in here, we unfortunately don't come here nearly as often as we'd like to, but we're blown away by something different every single time that we come here. And again, that is a testament to what Todd and Misty have built here in terms of the just not just the quality of the menu, but the breadth of the menu and, and the, the innovation that goes into everything. It's, it's inspiring to us just as fat boy eaters. <laughs> I can only imagine as someone that's got the passion for cooking and the passion for learning that you do, I, I don't know that there could have been a better place for you to learn than, than right here where you are right now. No, there, there really wasn't. Um... Yeah, like you say we cook everything under the sun. It feels like um, whole hog, pork steaks, pastrami, beef ribs, messing around with different sausages, bologna. It's just bolognese. Yeah. It's just everything. I wasn't saying what you were saying was bologna. <laughs> <laughs> at the sake of being a comedian. But no, you guys actually cook yeah. bologna. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's one of the things. And it's funny because you know we we ordered darn near all the meats on the menu today, and we still had someone DM us and say you didn't get X Y Z, and we're like. We got a tray full of food. What else do you want us to do? But, but it was actually the cutie pies which sold out before we could even order them. <laughs> or otherwise we probably would have because that's what we do. But so, so let's talk about one, one thing that I, I always find amazing too is, again, you guys are running direct heat and you're running offsets. You're running multiple pits on both sometimes. You're doing uh, pork steak some days. You're doing whole hog. I mean, what is it like trying to, to do fire management and run those different meats all, at, all kind of simultaneously? It's a lot of fun. <laughs> 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 hey, honestly, it's just it's so much fun because 
What's the total number of pits you might have running at once? Is it six? Uh, we've got the inside oh, yeah. rotisserie. We've got four the thousand gallons, the two pit cookers, the burn barrel. Um, those are usually on any given day. The max number will so run eight, at one eight, time. Eight fires that you're having yeah. to manage at once. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> And, and just the, the volume, it's not even just that it's eight pits, but what's on those pits, whether right. it's full of briskets, whether it's, you know, time for the well, yeah, you're shift. running them at different temperatures. Yeah, different yeah, temperatures, yeah. different. I mean, it's, that's a challenge. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's a fun challenge, though. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. You know, we'll have pork steaks cooking at different temps, and throughout the pork steak cook, things will change. You got the pig, same thing, different temps, depending on what time it is briskets different temps depending on what time it is you got sausage going beef ribs going like there's just so many things ribs finishing off there's just so many things happening uh all at once in the especially in the mornings that it, it's kind of hectic but it, it's it to me that's that I, that's what i live for like that's just so much fun to be able to go through all that and one of the things we kind of talked before before recording was around dealing with the outside temperatures and and then the pit temperatures because depending on how well the pin's insulated or not insulated, and, and the outdoor temperature, you're actually, you mentioned, I mean, something that I'd like you to expound upon for everybody listening, you know, 250 in the pit on a hot summer day is not the same as 250 in the pit on a cold or windy day, and so kind of explain that, because yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, so we, everything we're cooking on essentially is outside. Um, we have the 1,000-gallon smokers that are inside, they're, they're not inside, but they're covered at least, um, but the pig cooker and uh, the burn barrel is all outside. But yeah, everything, depending on the weather, is completely different. So on uh, a warm, beautiful, sunny day, like you know, today is 70 something degrees, it's really easy to manage temps, it's really easy to manage fires. Everything kind of runs as it should. Now take what we had two, three weeks ago when we're getting here, it's 20 something degrees in the morning. Trying to manage temps at 250 is completely different now at that point in time. Um, you kind of have to offset and you know think through a little bit as far as if I'm running this pit at 250, I'm changing air temperature that's 20 degrees into 250 degree air temperature. You're actually having to put so much heat that it actually changes the impact of the cooking. And so you can actually get too much color, too much darkness, um, that sort of thing. And you can actually burn things up a little bit too, too quick. So you actually kind of have to mess with the temperatures a little bit to make sure that everything cooks at a similar rate to what you would normally get it on a 70-something degree day. Um, and the same thing kind of goes with the wood, if it's wet or if it's seasoned, that sort of thing. There's just all these variables that are constantly changing with us so and so for you know and it's a it's a really good lesson for all of us amateur cooks out there that i mean everyone always wants the magic temperature of what do you do you know at one temperature do you wrap at one temperature do you do this fire at 688 degrees. <laughs> yeah i mean all those all those magic numbers that everyone wants to hit i mean that's that's not how so many cook so many cook based on color and texture and, and and things like that and there's so many different things that go into that whether that's a cold and windy day and managing the fire so it's it's really a good lesson to learn i mean I, Obviously, as you're learning, you, you still want to have those temperatures because you still want some sort of tangible thing you can, you know, probe and feel. And okay, that's the that's the way it needs to be. But as you start to get more of that experience, that really is the best way to tell where you're at in a cook is based on bark development, 
think colors, you know, colors of the ribs, you know, has it got that mahogany yet or where is it at in that stage? And absolutely, it's really one of those things that it does take a lot of practice to learn. We're still learning all the time. We still screw it up all the time too, but it really is the best way to start, to start down that process of really perfecting a cook or trying to perfect a cook. That's what makes it fun, though. It is. You know, it, 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 all is. these it, different it, things it, that yeah, are changing if, all the time. If everything was always, you know, this br- every brisket is done when it hits 203, well, then <laughs> yeah. that, would, that would take all the fun out of it, yeah, and absolutely. you'd have a lot of really overcooked and undercooked briskets, depending on size and everything else and fat content of right. the brisket and all that fun stuff. What is, what is the most challenging protein to cook? Pork steaks. Pork steaks. Even, even more challenging than hog? Uh, absolutely. And, and why? Because it's such a short cook, or um, I mean, it's a decent cook. I mean, I think we're cooking ours for about five hours. Um, pork sticks are just really, really tough because in order to get them nice, juicy, and tender, is really honestly kind of hard to do. It's a short window. Yeah, where it's, where it's it, all exactly. Of those it's yeah. a really short window, um, and it's one of these things since you're direct cooking that definitely adds a, a challenge to it versus indirect cooking someone lexington told me you don't get it right till you're 70 so. <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't i don't think i'm anywhere near that level that's for sure uh she's still some of the best ones I've, I've ever had or the best ones i've ever had let me clarify um but yeah it's it's the fact that you're doing a direct cook that i think makes it really challenging and so you're trying to manage the rate at which that protein cooks without burning up the outside of it and so you're trying to cook it just at the right rate, especially with uh, pork shoulder, uh, you want it so that it's not quite pulled pork, but you want it so that it's still nice and tender, so you can make slices out of it. And finding that little window, kind of like you mentioned, is really, really hard to pin down. Um, And like I said, without cooking the outside too quickly, burning it up, but the inside still hasn't finished off. And so... uh, I don't know. To me, that's just one of the most difficult things to cook. It, it's just so hard to get that window just perfectly right. And, and we, we certainly believe a, a perfectly cooked pork steak is one of, one of the best meats you can have. Really? We yeah. think that. I yeah. didn't think we ever talked <laughs> about pork steak. <laughs> no, we're not allowed to say we talk about it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we know that you've got to get some sleep because yeah. you've got to get to work again before we know it. So we'll, we'll wrap up with a couple of little off-the-wall questions. It's one of the little goofy things we've started in, you know, three, four years into the show wherever long we are into the show. Question one, if you could cook with anybody that you've yet to be able to cook with, who would it be? And why is his name not Aaron Franklin? Because I know that's what you'd say. I don't want to give you a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, that that's definitely the first person that comes to mind. That's a great question. A really great question. I have to say it's got to be Miss Tootsie. Um, if it wasn't Aaron Franklin. Especially uh, after just talking about the pork steak. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I've gotten to talk with her a little bit at one of the meat church events and then briefly at, at Snow's. And she just seems like she's just a wealth of knowledge. I think there'd just be so much to learn from her. And she's one of the nicest human beings on the planet. So I think I think it would have to be Miss Tootsie. But unless you close the door too quickly on the, uh, on the <laughs> yeah yeah I've seen that. <laughs> uh, now another one is um, what barbecue joint would you like to eat at that you haven't eaten at yet? Ooh, that's another great question. Um, there's so many great ones. I've eaten at a lot, but I would say Tejas. 
I haven't been to Tejas, and I've, I've heard nothing but incredible things about Tejas. Ten um, minutes from his house. Their sausage yeah. is, like, world no, famous. eight minutes, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, when, they, when they decided to create their own sausage, they, they created a monster. I mean, the, the, one of the first ones out of the gate, yeah. the chili relleno sausage is, is yeah, We should have asked this question a few days ago. We could have actually brought him yeah, some chili relleno sausage. <laughs> yeah. We didn't think about that. Yeah. Okay, well, one more question I have. So say, say it's your birthday. Todd says, we're going to throw anything on the menu you want that, you've never, that we've never served here before. What do you want to throw on the menu? Oh, that's another good question. You guys got good ones. Um, we just thought of them about five seconds ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, the thing about... Oxtails. Actually, you're absolutely right. <laughs> no, you, you really are. I, um, it's one of these things that I've been wanting to play around with for so long, and we just haven't gotten around to it here. Um, what I was going to say is that Todd's really good about trying to ask for input, and we're constantly experimenting, and we always get to play with different stuff all the time no matter how crazy it is. Um, but that's one thing that we just haven't played around with that I would absolutely love to play around. I don't know if you saw the Eater uh, episode with John Lewis uh, at Lewis Barbecue. Yes, yes, we did see that. You, sh- you sent it to me. Yeah. He was cooking some oxtails. It was a really good episode. Like, oh, he, he goes man. through a lot of his, a lot of his details yeah. that he usually doesn't do. Yeah, yeah they just looked incredible. So I, I think that would probably... It, it goes along it. To, to using the whole animal concept mm-hmm. as well, right? You get to use more of the animal in, in that aspect too. All right. Well, I am out of goofy questions for this one. Um, we've uh, we've taken up plenty of your time at this point. No, uh, thank you guys again. I it, I really appreciate it. And I, it's it was just cool because I've listened to all your guys' stuff, so it's definitely different to be able to be talking to you on this side of it. <laughs> it's weird when people tell us that they've listened to this many hours yeah. of us talking we have, about We it. haven't listened to this many hours of us. No, we stopped listening. We don't like the hosts. So. <laughs> <laughs> we wrote a bad review. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just, it's really great what you guys are doing, just, you know, promoting barbecue and taking the time to go to all these places and try to get people's stories out there. It's just, I mean, it's a really cool thing that you guys it's, are doing, so I appreciate it. It's a gift for us, like, for, to be able to do it. I mean, it is. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, it, every now and then it'll feel like a job, but it's still a fun job that we don't get paid for. But it's still <laughs> a lot of fun. I mean, to, you guys do the hard work. You know, the least we can do is try to shine a light on some of the hard work that you do and the creativity. And so sure. it's it's a pleasure for us to be able to do this for as long as we've done it. Right. Well, we, we see that magic. And, and it all started back with where you started about, you know, the experience and all of that that it brings. And so, you know, we just, we just want to share that experience with everybody else so they understand when they come to a restaurant, they can kind of learn a little bit about the background, a little bit about the people. And it makes their visit even more pleasurable um, but but it's also selfish for us because we just like talking to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, thank you, Andrew, thank you for the time. Thank you for Anytime. being being a part of this wonderful restaurant. Um, this was the meal we had here today was one of the most memorable barbecue meals that I've ever had. Honestly, um, that it means w- a lot. It, it truly does. It was it, it was a special special tray of food. <laughs> the pastrami is the brisket was cooked absolutely perfect i mean it literally could have not have been cooked any more perfect than it was i appreciate that it's it's we work real hard on it i mean we really do it's something we we put a lot of thought and effort into every aspect of it from the trimming all the way through to the cook to the when it gets sliced on the on the board it's 
we really really try to make sure that we put a, a great product out there so yeah when we post this episode we'll i'll do a repost if you have not seen the trimmed briskets at cadillac that you post on your instagram sometimes they look like river stones. it's amazing <laughs> it's incredible and it's again the attention to detail in every single part of the process that makes this place so special uh, thank you again and we will talk with you next time